Welcome to Prep Talk, the emergency management podcast. Find out what you need to know about preparedness. Get all the latest tips from experts in the field and learn what to do before the next disaster strikes. From the emergency management department in the city that never sleeps, here are your hosts. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening. I am Tashawn Brown. And I'm Ashley Holmes. Welcome to another episode of Prep Talk where we discuss all things in emergency management. You can follow us on social media, on our Twitter at NYC Emergency MGT, also on our Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and much more. On this episode of Prep Talk, at the end of Women's History Month, we are joined by the mayor of New York City's chief of staff, Camille Joseph Barlett, who will discuss what led to her interest in law, challenges women still face in the workplace, and what she hopes to accomplish in her new role. Please welcome Camille Joseph Barlett. Hi, everybody. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. Um, please share with our listeners your role and how you got started in the field. Sure. So I am currently the chief of staff to the 110th mayor of New York City, uh, Mayor Eric Adams. Um, and, and this was certainly not how I started my journey. I'm, I'm an attorney. I've, I've been a trial attorney, a litigator. Um, I've worked in-house counsel. I, I knew I wanted to be a lawyer from the age of six. And so that has been the vast majority of my background. Um, but I'm also very privileged that the, the majority of my career has been um, in public service, working in, in government. Um, and so that's sort of what brought me back here. So what were some of the challenges uh, you faced while pursuing a career in law? Did you ever feel discouraged? Um, if so, what did you do to overcome those feelings? Sure. Um, so I'm a pretty self-directed person. I, I you know, grew up, um, I was home a lot, alone. My mother worked really long hours. And so I used to watch like a lot of legal dramas, um, Matlock, Perry Mason, um, when I got older, the practice, just all sorts of, and I just loved it. I loved the drama of the courtroom. I loved building the case, telling the story to the jury. And so everything that I ever did was always sort of focused on that path. I um, did mock trial. I was in speech and debate in high school. I, you know, I, I just knew that that's what I wanted to do. Um, and I don't think that there was any, I, once I fixed my mind on it, there was nothing that really changed it. And for me, um, I really believe in service. And so the notion that you could, I always wanted to be a prosecutor, and the notion that you could try to bring some modicum of justice to those that had been hurt or harmed in some way was something that was very compelling to me. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, what are some of the challenges women face in the workplace? Have you experience anything, especially uh, for women who practice law? Yeah. Um, so there's what I've experienced and what I think women in the legal profession generally have experienced, right? And, and so I think generally it's been trying to figure out balance, trying to make sure that you can work hard, maintain a family, but still be able to progress through your career. Um, you know, opportunities that are just not made available to you, one, because you're a woman, two, perhaps because you're a woman of color. So all of the things that exist in most other fields, I think, apply to the legal profession. I also think that it's it's very traditional, very heavily white male. And so um, law firms certainly have worked to diversify, and I think that they've made some strides. But there's still so much more to do. And, and, and so for me, I actually think as a, as a woman of color um, who is an attorney, I probably had more opportunities in government than I might have had in the private sector um, because there's just so much work to do, right? And so 
I, you know, started my career at the Brooklyn DA's office where, um, you know, I had a caseload of probably 200 plus misdemeanor cases when I started. And then when I moved into felonies, had a lot of felonies too, like just way more of a caseload than you're supposed to have at that point. But as a result of that, I just got a lot of great experience. Um, and those are opportunities that you don't normally have going to a, a law firm. So I do think, um, that as people are thinking about what they want to do, that government service is just a great place to cut your teeth because, again, you, you tend to get a lot of really great experience at a young age. Um, and I, I tend to find that you don't have as many of the same challenges as you might have in the private sector. So that was, that was a little bit about, about my um, experience. I think that, um, you know, the, the profession as a whole has turned a lot of its attention to diversity. Um, and again, I think that they've, they've made some, some strides, but there's just, there's just a lot more to do. So I, I, I know you mentioned uh, your, your vast experience in government, um, and I know you've navigated through a mini crisis. Um, is there a particular event, or issue, or a person who kind of steered you towards public service? You know, my mom's a nurse. Um, and, uh, you know, she was a nurse back when she used to wear nursing caps. Like I remember, you know, having to get up and iron and starch her caps and whiten her shoes because everything had to be perfect when she was going to the hospital. And she took a lot of pride in being there and serving others. She has become a nursing educator where I watch her teach younger men and women to be, to go into this profession and the care and diligence that she gives to them um, when she talks about being of service to others and how you want to care for them and why the little things that you do matter, I think were um, very informative for me as a, at a young age. Um, my father was a police officer so in, in Trinidad and Tobago, and so for me, I think that service is just a part of how I'm built. But, um, you know, my mother was always, you know, she's very active in her church has always been, we were always looking to do things for others. So I think that that certainly informed my, my drive to serve. Um, and, I, and I believe it, right? There are tons of people that work in government for all sorts of different reasons. I already spoke about the fact that you get such an incredible amount of experience at a young age um, or, or you know, being young in, in your particular chosen profession. But I think that um, there are people in, in all of these places and spaces who really believe, right, who really believe in what government is supposed to do, how it's supposed to show up for people, take that responsibility really seriously. And so, um, you know, that's that's just how I've always thought of it. Anything you want to add um, about you um, venturing off into the private sector? I, I am not a person who would normally be an entrepreneur, right? Like I like structure. I like coming into a place where there are already rules. You know where you're supposed to go. You know what your responsibilities are. So for me, it was a huge leap of faith to build something from scratch. Incredibly hard work. I'm very grateful to have had that experience. Um, and, and I think it's particularly relevant because I think even coming out of the pandemic, you see a lot of young people who are making different choices. They are, you know, they're second guessing whether or not they want to go to college. They are trying to think about how to turn something that they love into something that they can do for a living. And I think all of that is admirable. I think that um, their willingness to do something unexpected and different is great. And I'm, and I'm grateful to have had that experience. And, you know, I think the only thing that I would add is that it is not easier. 
it is extraordinarily hard. Like what I loved about it was the notion that you could get up tomorrow and say, you know what? I think we should be doing X, Y, and Z. And you can just do it, right? You can design that, you can go and you can figure it out and learn and grow. And, and that to me was invigorating. Um, but again, it is, it is extremely hard work, you know, finding the right people to go into that kind of endeavor with you who are like-minded, think the same way. You learn a lot about people, you learn a lot about yourself. Um, so it was really a, a great, great experience. And through your, throughout your career, you have overseen the cities and states' um, response to many different types of emergencies, including COVID-19, um, natural disasters, and cyber attacks. Um, I think I know what, what you're going to say, but uh, let's see, which emergency for you was the most difficult to, to, to navigate and what was most rewarding? Yeah, well, it has to be COVID, right? It has to be COVID. I mean, I will tell you that before we got to the pandemic, um, I had dealt with just sort of all sorts of things and loved every minute of it. Again, shark attacks out at Jones Beach. Um, you know, at one point there were pipe bombs being deployed across the state, public health emergencies. There were just so, there were so many things. And of course, the storm response, which I, which I love, right? Love throwing on some boots, getting in the car and going to figure out like, where are we closing down this highway and, and all of those pieces. But, um, you know, I, I was working at a different job. I'd left the previous, I'd left uh, the state in April of 2019 and, and I was working in the private sector and wasn't really focused or paying attention because there was just, there was a lot of crisis management in that previous job. And um, <clears throat> my former chief of staff at the, uh, at the governor's office called me and said, you know, I really hate to do this, but he was like, I really need you to come back. He was like, and you said what, what for me were the magic words. He was like, it's a once in a generation crisis. And I was like, all right, well, got to figure out how to get myself there. And then got some other outreach from the administration, asked me to come back. And so I think it was March 28th of 2020, I, I moved to Albany. And I ended up serving on the um, the COVID task force for three months, and um, it was uh, at at once, at one time, sort of the most amazing experience of my life, as well as um, one of the hardest. Um, I think I take a lot of pride in the fact that we asked people to do things. We asked other public servants to do things in a moment where they were terrified, they were sick, they were, many of them working remotely and they, we had never, I mean, we were, we just didn't operate that way. So many of them had never worked remotely before. So they're figuring out new technology, you know, their kids are home, right? So just really challenging circumstances and over and over and over again, as we continue to learn more about COVID and what we needed to do to navigate it, we asked them to show up. We asked them to do all sorts of things as we were figuring it out. And sometimes we got it right and sometimes we didn't get it right. And they showed up, they showed up. Um, I remember having to ask people to work on Easter Sunday and people showed up, thousands of people showed up to do what I needed them to do. And so to me, I think I'm, I'm proud of the work that we did to bring um, relief and comfort to some New Yorkers during that period of time. I think what I what I loved about that period of time was I finally felt as though government was getting the appreciation that they should, right? Because, you know, government existed before, it exists now. 
Um, but people finally, I mean, the, the clapping, the, the, the applause that used to happen down in New York City, I would, I would read about it, um, when essential workers would just get thanked by everyday New Yorkers for the things that they were doing. And of course, you know, not great that it took something like a pandemic for people to see the people that move this city, that move this country every single day, unsung heroes, that they continue to do it. Um, they were exposed themselves all the time. I mean, when I was serving on the task force, you know, many people were home, but I, we went into the office. I was working at the Capitol every seven days a week. Um, and so I just hope that that appreciation lasts um, because um, uh, public servants are still showing up for this country, for New Yorkers every single day. I think as difficult as the, re the COVID response was, um, we actually, like this government learned a lot um, and what's able, and a lot of thing, a lot of times, uh, government gets criticized for being stagnant or yeah. you're not not changing uh, as quick as times change. But I think in this instance, uh, the government learned a lot um, in terms of like remote work. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it'll it'll be very interesting. We were talking before we started about you know this world is forever changed. Um, some of those things are going to be good. Some of those things are going to be bad. Um, we'll we'll sort and settle, and we'll we'll see where we where we end up. I think there's a lot of trauma. Um, coming out of the pandemic, particularly for those essential workers who did show up every day. And so I think that employers need to acknowledge that, be aware of that, factor that in as we continue to ask um, folks that work for government in the public interest, we continue to ask them to do more with less. Um, and they continue to show up and, and try to do what they can, even though clearly there are, there are, there are challenges. And so, um, but there are, there are a lot of things to learn. And there was, I think, in, in certain places, an inflexibility, a desire to continue to do things the way that we've already done them. And, and hopefully, you know, our ability to pivot, right? I mean, we shut down New York City, right? And we figured it out, we navigated it, we came back. Um, and so I think that there's a lot of opportunity for us to think creatively and, and to just to be prepared. Right to be prepared and 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 willing to try and do new things. All right, thank you for that. It's been very insightful. Um, what goals have you set for yourself um, since you were appointed to chief of staff? Um, so I think that um, I try to trust my instincts at this point. And for me, showing up every day, ready to work, but ready to treat people with kindness and respect. That's very important to me. It's it's how I lead. Um, I fundamentally want to make sure that the foundation of New York City government is strong so that all of the amazing people that are in the administration, from the deputy mayors to the commissioners, um, who have the, the task of moving the ball down the field, right, their team offense. So their job is to make sure that the mayor sets his vision and they are executing on that vision through programs. And I want to make sure that everything that needs to be in place so that they can do that work is in place while at the same time um, being ready to flag the concerns, flag the, uh, the risks, you know, deal with the crises when they come up so that they can continue to move the ball down the field. So those are, those are, that's my sweet spot. That's the, that's the work that I love to do. And, and so my goal is just to continue to do it as best I can. And uh, has anything surprised you um, since you um, were appointed to chief of staff? Anything surprised me? No. I mean, I think that the the volume, the pace, and the intensity of the work is, is very much um, what I've dealt with in the past, right? I, I feel like I've had 24-7 jobs now for about nine years. 
Um, you know, I sleep with my phone, which is a bad, bad habit, but I just feel like, you know, something may happen in the middle of the night, so I need to, I need to, I need to be accessible. I think, um, I think the, the one difference I would say is, you know, when you're working in state government or in federal government, a lot of what you're doing is oversight, right? You're setting broad policy and then the localities are the ones who are responsible for implementing it. And so it is absolutely different to be working on the local level because we do something today and we see the effects of it tomorrow. And of course, New Yorkers are um, very vocal. So it's, it's just making sure that you're thinking about that because you feel the response, whether it's good or bad, very quickly and so i think that's probably the biggest adjustment thank yeah. you sure <laughs> thank you so much Camille. uh it is rapid response time and if okay. you're a first time listener it is simple prep talk will ask questions and our guests will give the first answer that comes to mind but before rapid response here's a message from new york city emergency manager you're listening to prep talk the emergency management podcast New York City needs your help to make our communities safer, stronger, and better prepared. Support your community by getting involved in the NYC Emergency Management Share Your Space Survey. Do you manage or own a facility in NYC with a large interior room, like a community center? A place of worship? Or a campus facility? These can be used for outreach, for training, as a gathering space in an emergency, or as a disaster recovery center for your community. Community spaces can be used as a resource before, during, and after an emergency. Organizations citywide are encouraged to participate. Go to nyc.gov slash share your space survey. There, you can register your space. By working together, we can build resilient communities, one space at a time. Learn more at nyc.gov slash share your space survey or call 311. It's time for Prep Talk Rapid Response. And we're back. It is now Rapid Response. Uh, and I'll start with the first question. Uh, so what do you carry with you every day? So when I was on the COVID task force, uh, a good friend of mine worked for the state and I came in one day and he had left me breakfast. It was like a cup of coffee, it was a muffin, and it was a note that said, good morning to the white hat. And I carry that with me every day. And it was just sort of a reminder that it's like, you get up every day, you try to do the right thing, you, you work hard, you figure out the emergencies. And it was just such a incredible thing for him to do at a moment that was so difficult and so I carry that note with me every day. What is your favorite disaster movie or book? Okay, so I have several, but I think the mo the one that I like the most most recently, it's called The Wave. And so it was about it's a it's I want to say it's like a I think it's from Sweden perhaps and so I just happened to stumble across it on on Hulu but it was like just a really great disaster movie about how they're making these adjustments and then of course there's the the Armageddon and the just all of the other ones but but they're actually my favorite my favorite movies to watch but the wave is is probably the one that I've watched most recently that I really enjoyed uh your favorite hobby to relax or de-stress um don't really have many hobbies, but I have an amazing book club, a tree, uh, a tree Grows in Brooklyn book club that I've been in for probably 18 years now. And it's like 
great group of amazing women. We meet every other month to, to read a book. We've taken trips together. We've done all sorts of things. It's, it's very much a family. So that's a de-stressor. We just had our book club meeting this past Sunday and it was, it was great. Describe your work in one word. Invigorating. Invigorating. I wake up every day excited to see sort of what the new challenges were going to be. There was a point in time where I was like, we haven't had a storm. This has been a very mild winter. Like I'm just always sort of ready to go and, and dig into, you know, some thorny issues. And so um, that's exciting. I, I love not knowing what the day will bring. No two days are the same. Um, and consider myself to be extraordinarily grateful to work with a really great group of people um, who are believers like I am. Thank you again. Thank Camille. you. Thank you for joining Thank us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate again, it. It was very insightful. Thank you. That's this episode of Prep Talk. If you like what you heard, you can listen anytime online or through your favorite RSS feed. Until next time, stay safe and prepared.